and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Esther Bennett. So we're sure to be hitting some beautiful notes. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to episode four of series six of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. As always, if you like what you hear, do let a friend know and make sure you subscribe. Or heavens forbid, you might miss one of our valuable weekly episodes. And you can visit our lovely website at watfordjazzjunction.com whenever you like. And to book tickets to see our gigs here in friendly Watford. Uh, what have we got? We've got Tony Kofi Quintet, who will be painting their portrait of Cannonball Adley on the 12th of February. And of course, before then, in fact very soon, on Saturday the 30th of October, Chris Singham will be bringing his quartet and their highly acclaimed Jazz of Dudley Moore show here, uh, which you know is going to be an absolute treat. Now, to business. Today, I am joined by a wonderful singer and songwriter, one of the London jazz scene's perennial favourites, with a rich, sometimes humourful and always compelling sound, familiar face of jazz clubs the Landover from the 606 to the Vortex, from the Fleece to the Pheasantry, a knock'em dead singer, according to the Evening Standard, it can only be Esther Bennett. Esther, hello! How are you? Hiya! I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, we're very excited, very pleased, and it's an absolute pleasure. So where are you speaking to us from today? Well, I'm actually speaking to you from Kingston. We call it the Mood Indigo Events Headquarters. <laughs> um, it, Terence Carley, who's a pianist I work with a lot and recorded my latest EP with, yeah. he has a company with Janet McConn called Mood Indigo Events. They just did that London Day at the Brecon Jazz Festival. Very nice. And he, great with all the techie stuff, and, and so I sort of... I'm doing it here rather than on my primitive little phone stuff. Oh no, it's very good. Big shout out to Terence. Uh, he's he's yeah. done he's done magic at your end. I needed Terence in my life at my end. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can tell by the twang of your accent that you're not a Kingston native. You grew up in Birmingham, right? I certainly did, yeah. What was it like growing up there? It's a great city and where I grew up, mostly, Bartbrook, it, there's there's a lot of music. There was jazz. There is quite a nice little jazz scene. This I grew up there pre-conservatoire. Yeah. But, you know, there's a rich cultural mix. You know, the Beat and UB40 from there, but also the Spencer Davis group. <sighs> At the time, I wasn't into it, but it's fascinating in a musicologist way to realise that heavy rock came from there. And the music that they were emulating... The Sound of the Factories, yeah, yeah. Black Sabbath. I mean, at the, in Birmingham at the time, you're split, sort of split into two camps. People who liked music that was derivative from black culture and you went to wine bars and dressed up in clubs and jazz funk, or people who were wore vests and had long greasy hair and listened to Black Sabbath. But I really appreciate that heavy rock thing now. And I, you know, you'll get Led Zeppelin, the singers from the Midlands. There's a lot of good music from there and there's a good jazz scene now as well. I went to art college there. I went, I went at 16, I went to Bourneville Art College. Yeah. As a child, I knew. I would always come to London. I was coming to London twice a year because my mother's best friend was from London. Her daughter's my age. Yeah. And it was ne- that was just a given. I think a lot of my generation that was a given. So was yours a was yours a musical household particularly, or were you like sneaking out to go to clubs and find music in pubs and that type of thing? Well, there was always music, but there weren't musicians. There were no musicians. My mother was a great lover of jazz and big bands, and she'd go dancing to big bands. And she used to take me to see Stevie J. O. Actually, was still uh, active in Birmingham. Yeah. At the Strath- Allen Hotel. There used to be jazz every Sunday. At the end of one end of the street was um, one of the most reggae record shops yeah. in Europe, where you'd be forty years hang out and all the Jamaican generations and that. And the other end is mostly with and mostly jazz festival. And yeah. halfway down was a pub called the Red Lion. And I did sneak in there. <laughs> well, I mean, when we, I was talking to some friends, they said, you know, when we first we used to come in pubs, we were about 14, 13 to fifteen. <laughs> but anyway, that was those days. 
And they had jazz three nights a week. Uh, actually, there's people like Mark Fletcher who used to play there. He's, he's yeah. on my Just In Time album. And I, I can't remember any other, you know, Midland-based jazzers. And it was amazing, the, the Red Lion. It, it's funny because when we were little, it was a pub that you wouldn't go in. And suddenly I was sneaking in there to see jazz. I think my mum knew, but we didn't tell Dad. And it was just quite extraordinary, you know. It's funny, isn't it? With your ret- retrospective hat on, you realise how important some of these sort of uh, venues and spaces and places were and especially to be caught there between the mostly uh, jazz festival and and the reggae at the other end of the street so to speak it's kind of it's like a proper yeah. mixing pot I'm loving it Birmingham is like that and I, I mean I've, I've left for quite a long time now but when I was reading up about it when I was doing my website it's also it's still the area I come from Sparkbrook Mosley is where the beat were from and Brian Travis has just died from UB40 yeah really which is sad, really sad. You know, they're all, and they still live there. Well, they've got homes everywhere else. But um, I read now that there's another form of music, and I can't remember what it is, but it's a mix of banger and punk and reggae and and, and grime, and it's just it just all seems to be ever producing this music. And, you, yeah, you take it for granted. There was always a jazz funk scene and the clubbing scene as well. Yeah. But there's a particular stuff that comes out of Birmingham, and, and I, it, the last t- few times I've been going back and reading up, I felt quite proud about that, you know. It's, and, of course, you've got the historical blues, Spencer Davis stuff, which was also incredible. So, yeah, it's a very culturally rich part of the world. And uh, then there's all the industrial history. I love it. I've been going back lately. My next EP, actually, I'm going to reference some Go on, plug away. What's the next EP? Well, I, it's going to be a bit more avant-garde, spoken word. Um, there's a, a friend called Didier Mesidelo who used to work at the 606, actually, as well. And he's a, he, he's a musician, but he did sort of film music and more landscape, you know, film landscape type stuff. Yeah. But he also is an artist. His artwork is on, like, on the cover of uh, Safe Places, that latest DP. Yeah. And I've been sharing that a lot. And I thought, I mean, I did, I'd done avant-garde stuff with saxophone. I used to be in a 20 saxophone group called Mass Producers that was led by Caroline Crabble, who's also, who's very active on that uh, alter, uh, avant-garde jazz scene. Her husband's a bass player, John Edwards, I think. And yeah. So I've always been into that, Phil Minton and the Westbrooks and all that. I, I'm not going to do it on sets, though, but I just thought I'd do some poetry and spoken word, a bit of poetry with my mum's. Nice. Some stuff that I wrote about my dad when he was dying and it's called the maintenance fitter because he was a factory worker and right. oh i don't want to give too much away there's one that we're me and we're, we're looking for my mum my i grew up with cycling my brother was a professional cyclist and he's now an events organizer he organizes a tour of britain and there used to be these little leaflets called a wheel and mum wrote a poem about cycling about the cyclists and that and we can't find it it's in a scrapbook somewhere oh, and then the other side is digbeth where i went back recently there's lots of old factories a lot have been knocked down there but you know they've been left and the windows are broken, there's plants coming out. Yeah. I'm interested in that industrial history of Birmingham So and the canals. So there'll be one about that. So it's all really about one's the mother, one's the father, the cyclist with the brother, Digbeth. Yeah, it's all yeah. going to be about that, but it's going to be more poetic and spoken word and a bit of like, oh, oh, oh. you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. What I'd like to say, I Big know. Big Bill Minton and Maggie Nichols. I'd like say, I know. <laughs> But that's really amazing, isn't it? Sort of to deconstruct your life like that and indeed the area you grew up, but then to be able to rebuild it into something new. I always think that's particularly yeah. particularly special. So yeah. we, we, pretty fantastic introduction there to Birmingham and sort of <laughs> sort of what made you as, yeah. a, as a young woman. But then you came to London, you said. So when was that? Is that the 80s? 
Awesome time to be around, and, right? Uh, yeah, well, basically, I'd come to go to continue the art studies and yeah. for some reason did textiles christ knows why i wanted to do fashion they said but you've got no fashion designs and i said yeah but i like dressing up <laughs> which wasn't enough but i've you know i'd had two very fruitful years at bourneville art college in birmingham yeah which was amazing actually that such a wonderful couple of years where you did everything life drawing pottery da, 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 da. and of course you dress wearing your own clothes and there i got introduced to jazz funk actually by in the canteen by the guys, you know, I started to get into that, which started to get me into jazz. So I went to Middlesex Poly on the fine art course. Yeah. There was a lot of guys who uh, were into jazz, had jazz bands or DJed, and that continued. And I just remember very quickly thinking, apart from singing, thinking, oh, I'm going to buy a saxophone. So I took a grant check. And then I started to spend more time going to music works. First of all, in Brixton, I was in reggae bands, soul bands, pop bands, things like that. Right. And then I, I went joined Stockwell Music Works big band and workshops where that was led by Matt Fox, who led Happy End. Yeah. And his son, Reuben Fox, is doing very well now. He died recently, but he was very influential. I went to the Oval House Art Centre, which was all the South African expats, Eugene Ski, Becky Mzeliku, Dudu Pukwana. Well, that takes into loose tubes territory. Yeah. Then went, I met Lee Etherington, who was teaching me, and I, she introduced me to the 606 Jazz Club, and I was completely blown yeah. away by the, the standard of jazz. And so I started to do proper jazz workshops with Andrea Vicari, did Gildor Summer Schools. Um, yeah, so I then thought, right, I've got to up my game. I started playing late. I'd only done recorder at school. There was loads of music, in, there was always music played, and as I said, with my mum, the influence. But, but I... Regret not studying music earlier because it did hold me back with the saxophone. I started late and I could have, I just felt there was a wall. I couldn't get further and I really do think it was because I'd got so much to catch up. Great sense of melody. This is what some musicians told me. Great sense of timing. But, and people say, oh, it's not always about lots of notes. And I was like, yeah, it is sometimes. And I, I was hearing things I couldn't play. It wasn't in yeah, the fingers. Yeah, yeah. And I did quite a lot with it, but when I started to work with John China, it was a lovely one of those old school pianists who could play everything in every key. He's not with us now. He said, why don't you start with the singing again? Because I was doing drama as well and some musical theatre, so I was singing with that, but I was too shy to do gigs with singing, and he encouraged me to start singing standards. And then eventually that took over because I got to an age where I thought, right, you've really got to go for it. My friend who produced the album, Ian Shaw, the singer, said, you've got to do your debut album you got to do it and so I thought right I'm just going to put everything I've done into singing because I've been doing dance music art and it seemed that everything I'd have done whether it's acting or anything the singing just it just became this circle of that's what you've got to do one thing really well and there we are um and you're I would say one of the experts on the Duncan Lamont songbook as well as American songbook can you tell us a bit more about Duncan, um, sadly the, the late Duncan Lamont, and, and why his enormous back catalogue chimes with you? Well, about 2010, I'd done my album and I'd, I'd been sort of, you know, working away, gigging, started to gig at the proper jazz clubs and the 606 and all that sort of yeah. thing. And I met him in, um, we'd completely forgotten that we'd meet, met years ago, and I was playing sax, but never mind. Um, and he came in the six once and we started chatting, we were talking about singers and we were talking about jazz and he said, you should sing some of my songs. And I knew, he'd just done a big thing at Leicester Square Theatre with people like Cleo Lane and Norma Winston and stuff like yeah. that. But I wasn't that familiar. 
familiar with his songs. I knew the Natalie Carl one, but I wasn't familiar with his songs. And so I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So he gave me a couple of songbooks and he gave me a CD and I started listening. And I thought, I'm going to do something with this because it was at that stage then when everybody was realising with jazz that in order to get people in, people were either having to do it, not a tribute, but a, the songs of the songs of Ella Fitzgerald, the songs of this, rather than your own mm-hmm. name around 2010 people could have been resistant to it but most people were going it's got to be done because that's what they need to get bums on seats and I thought well rather than do the Ella Fitzgerald or the Nina Simone this is these are original songs I know they I wasn't the first person to sing them but nobody had done a project with it and I thought right I'm going to go for it it's a Duncan Lamont songbook and get gigs with it. Um, I incorporated other singers because we thought that might get, you know, more chances and more people in. And it was great, but you realise then you're just paying extra people. But everybody was into it, and, P- and Tina May and Sarah Moore, Daniela Klein's and Up North Beverly Band. Every, you know, we did various shows with it, and it, it, it really kicked off, and he loved it. And what was great was... I'd do all the admin and, and we'd go, I'd go around to his place, we'd look at the different songs, plan the set, talk about, you know, I'd, we'd have the business phone calls and everything and he left all that to me. But as soon as we walked onto that stage, he was, you know, I suddenly realised I didn't have to have my notes and let's go through this. He just led it all and then a bit later his son came in. Like great, as he said, that you know, he wrote, wrote a song a day, so they weren't, weren't all great, but the great ones are that really insight into life, into life's experience, and he wrote from a human being point of view, and they were really well written, and they sang themselves, you know, and they were quirky. You can feel the emotions, and you can see, you can see them, you can see them like a film, uh, and that's that's what you want in a song and there's always a quirk unusual harmonies an unusual melodic line and they just yeah resonate with you and it led to a fantastic album that that came out when 2019 18 am i making it uh, up? well we bought it out in in uh lockdown because basically oh, it lockdown, be a, 2020. Yeah, yeah it had to be an out it had to be an ep eventually because we'd got right i'd got my three songs recorded already and he was on them sarah Moore had yeah. done three with him and we'd done one together after he passed a, a great day in Harlem, um, which Duncan Jr.'s on, and Daniela Klein's the other singer was going to do three, and then we'd have ten for an album, and we might have done another duo, a trio of Miles or something. And of course, lockdown happened, so Dan couldn't do hers, and we thought it's going to take ages, and we need to get something out. I wanted to get something out, and mm. so we said, look, we're going to do it as an EP, and Dan was on the. Uh, the group one anyway. My friend Andy, who was, I was at art college, we'd actually worked in advertising, did a lovely cover from a photograph. And we thought, right, bring it out as an EP. And because it was Duncan, I, we didn't expect it to do as well because it was an EP, but it did so well because people wanted a recording. It, I think what it was about the songs, not just because he was on them, but it, it was an intention that we'd all been working with him. We all loved him. He'd just passed away. So there was a real vibe about it and Jazz Journal said we don't normally do EPs but we will this one because it's Duncan so it was just it had a lot of good about it and a lot of um I suppose love but uh and and the fact that he was on them and they were probably some of the last recordings uh that he'd done 
I think the very yeah. last one was on Bev Bairn's album that's coming out called Dream Dance, and she, she did a couple of his songs that he asked her to do, and he's playing. But there were some of the last t- recordings he'd done with yeah. vocalists, you know. You know, I, I've listened to listened to a couple of them. There's a fine line, isn't there, between poignancy, which I think you nail, and a sort of pathos, because that must have been hard to avoid with him dying so recently and you having been so close. How are you able to sort of capture what I guess was the original spirit of the song without losing yourself in what must have been a really, really sad time for you? Well, actually, that has happened on a couple of gigs. Mm. Um, oh, you've, you've upset me now. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, that's good. Because, um, of course, when we recorded them, he was alive. Mine I recorded a few years ago, but uh, I put the vocals on later. But right, he was alive okay. when I put the vocals on because we were planning the album while he was alive. Three from me, three from Sarah and three from Dan, you know. We were because Tina was doing another separate album of his of songs, which is great as well. So that's why it was those three singers on that. And so he was part of the plan, but of course he passed away, and there was no issue with that while I was recording it because when I did the vocals at a later date, he was still with us. But on a couple of gigs, I was singing one of the songs, and I, and it was a bit like, oh yeah, you know, I, I thought I'm going, I'm going. I wrote a song for him on okay. my EP, Safe Places. Yeah. And it wasn't sort of I miss you and that. It was a, because he was quite existential and he also did yoga all the time. And I wanted a John Coltrane vibe because his playing when he was an instrumentalist was, wasn't straight ahead. It was quite out there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I remember Simon Spillett writing something about him and I listened once to one. I think it was with Brian D. the pianist. And it was like, wow, this is quite out. He wasn't a traditional, you know, mainstream, always a mainstream player. And I wanted to reflect that side of him because sometimes with age, people might go a certain type of person as well, you know, or they're bound to be a bit old-fashioned. And I wanted to reflect the side of him that was hip. Yeah, definitely. Because he would he would have been younger than John Coltrane. Mm. And it was when I was singing that on the live stream. Oh, I'm going again. Oh, I'm going all ooh, emotional. I, I, that was that, that was hit me because yeah, yeah, it was a song I wrote for him, sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, you know. Yeah. There you well, go. thanks for sharing. Um, now, slightly, slightly different. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, women in jazz media, who I know have got a, a slot coming up at the EFG London Jazz Festival at Toulouse-Lautrec down in uh, South London. Um, we had uh, Rahan Gies on uh, a couple of shows back, and we've got... Ah, she's Oh, lovely. she's, all, she's yeah. wonderful, right? Met us at Yeah, and we've yeah. got... I've never seen... No, no, we, we, we met... We hung out at... Uh, we, we know each other from online, yeah. and we've seen stuff like that, but we met at Ronnie's when we all went to see Kim Cypher, who's right. also on Women in Jazz Media, and we, we and me and her hung at the back bar like two jazz divas. Yeah. Well, you've got to do it. That's why... That's... <laughs> That, that, that's what we all expect at Ronnie's to see a couple of divas at the bar. Um, um, we've got uh, Irene uh, Sarah coming up too, who I know is um, also yeah. part of the mix. And there's so, yeah. fa- there's so many fabulous women involved. I mean, j- mm-hmm. so my question really is why why is it important for women in jazz and related media, of course, to have a platform like women in jazz media? And would you say you've actually faced discrimination as women in the industry over the years? Not to, to take you down a political route particularly, but just to reappreciate the social context of being a woman in jazz in, in 2021. Um, I'm sort of now sort of a little bit complacent about things, but... Go on. Of course it's important. Well, what was funny is when I was looking for memorabilia and things, we just had a family day, but I was looking for this poem. I found a letter from Time Out and I must have written an, 
And I don't know where, what I'd written. It was at the time before internet, and he and he took it on board. He said, "I do take you using his all the time when we're talking about jazz." Yeah. And I must have written and said, "Excuse me." Uh, and that was quite nice because we could have only been about nineteen. I think I remember him. Bill Lewington annoyed me once, and I remember standing at the door going, "Jazz is a music of the people of the street." And flouncing out. Good for you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm dice. I hadn't been. It was a bit like that. I was got him, so I bought my sax there, and I just thought, oh, all right, you know. So oh, she's off, you yeah. know. I was a bit more militant then. Um, but yeah, what happened is it on International Women's Day. I be, I was busy promoting the Safe Places EP. Anyway, I saw this list. I was on this list that was going to be in this magazine, so well produced and beautiful for International Women's Day to launch Women in Jazz Media with Jazz Quarterly and Fiona Ross is great. Yeah. Uh, she's so great. I mean, she's got so many strings to her. But I thought this looks good. The the other Women in Jazz are lovely as well, but they tend to deal with the young ones, and that's fine. And the new jazz. But I saw this and I thought, this is across the board. And I'm not really, now somebody who goes on marches or pop bangs or getting to, I'm not great with terminology mm. like Pale Mail and Stale and all that. I just don't. But I saw that and I thought, wow, I'll, that's good and I want to get involved. It just looked great. It, it's got to be on a certain level as well for me to want to get involved. But it's across the board and it's it's hit right at the right time. Mm. And what's I've taken over the Insta side and I'm on the events. I said I'd like to be in events. I was in, which will be the ten days at Toulouse. We're gigging as well, but involved on events. And Lara, the other girl, she interests me because she's in her early twenties and she's an LGBT person and activist. And it's like, you know, somebody that young. I'm interested in their energy and what they can teach me. It's irrelevant that they're LGBT, but you know, just yeah. somebody of that generation. So I'm interested in learning. Yeah, because I didn't. I'm not particularly bothered, but you know, I don't have any daughters or anything. So I, it's nice. Yeah. Um. What ha- What was funny, <laughs> and and I did tell them this. I'm doing the Insta, and the, so I get all the data from the database. I get lots of photos and info, and I do the Insta. She Fiona yeah. sends me that. We all have these WhatsApp groups. And there was one guitarist we couldn't name. She'd sent something, but not a name. So I was Googling. We couldn't find a female guitarist. Hundreds come up, hundreds. And you just couldn't find out who it was. And you suddenly realise, well, no, but it's more that there are hundreds. I understand. It's like it's like women in football now. They, di- they didn't just suddenly start doing it. They've always been doing it. And the most Googled thing for female jazz guitarists, this is what Google's fault, but the most Google thing was, are female jazz guitarists attractive? Oh, sweet Lord. And it makes you go, wow. I mean, not as if it's not difficult enough playing jazz guitar, but it really makes you go, there are loads out there and they're not as represented. And yeah, it is, it's a really important time. They got the Parliamentary Jazz Award, which I thought I, I wasn't surprised about because it's like, it's like that UB40 album, isn't it? Uh, signing off it's right at the right time it's well done everything about it is good Mm. and she's amazing Fiona I know it's a team and everything but it's just well needed but I like to get more involved on an admin side you know rather than be overtly political on social media I've lived my life independently and I was talking to my niece about this I didn't really need to book, read a book about feminism. I've lived my life alternatively mm. and uh, as an independent person thinking I can do exactly what guys do, you mm. know. Uh, that wasn't always easier when I was younger, you know. You'd, but now I'm really glad. And what you see about some of the young women is they're really paving the way. Stupid things like nobody's going to say to them, when are you going to have kids then? Yeah. And it's like, 
Sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm not an angry person about it, but I suppose I was always a uh, deal with it, I'm going to shock you and think it was funny. Until it was like, sometimes you, it's not always when you frighten off the guy that you like, you yeah. know. But tough, isn't it, really? You know, and, and, and it, if I was really going to get into it, yeah, it is tough. It has been tough for women who don't want to just get married and have kids. You know, let's let's think about it. Unless there's good relationships in jazz because they're you know two uh, both musicians, Andrea Vaccari do and um, Dorian Lockie. Yeah, yeah. You know, la 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 la. But in the past, that whole thing of women who've given up their career. Yeah. Or the guys threatened by. I wouldn't have even thought of it. I remember once meeting somebody nice, you know, and that, and I'd got a rehearsal the next day, and he thought, well, I thought you might not want to go to that rehearsal. I thought you might, you know, want lunch with me, and I thought, what? Wow. <laughs> you know? So, that's, that's, I don't want to get into being anti-men either. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's, it, it gets very, very complicated very, very quickly, but the fundamental thing, to my mind, is that there obviously has to be uh, inclusion for everyone, and if there isn't, Why? And if there have been barriers, how many of them remain, you know, existing, even though we can't see them type thing? Um, but I just think it's fantastic uh, the, 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 the work that uh, the Women in Jazz Media is doing uh, and the collective. Great. And it seems a powerful force for good. So thank you for being, really, for being really so active. Is, it's, yeah. it's brilliant. Um, right, Esther, are you ready for my brand new quick fire quiz challenge? It is called... Oh, I'm not very good at this, but my mind will probably go blank. All right, go. it's called Esther's Half, half <laughs> Dozen High Note Blue Note Quiz. No, quiz. So all you need to do is just answer with your choice from the options, oh. all right? Oh, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a general knowledge. No, not really. Oh, thank God for that. You're, yeah. No, you'll be fine. Question one, <laughs> Dinah Washington or Sarah Vaughan? <gasps> Sarah Vaughan. Question two, sparkles or feathers? Feathers. Hmm. Question three. If only one player of the band turns up, would you rather it was the bass player or the pianist? Well, the pianist. Okay, hold on. You're at 26. Doing quite well. Um, question four. Champagne or cocktail? Champagne. Strong. Uh, question five. The songs of Billy Strayhorn, the songs of Benny Golson, or secret option three? Your choice. Don't kill a mum. Bam. Okay, so let me just tally up here. If I took the 26 and add that to the 19 that we're carrying over from question four. Right, question six, the final question. The New York jazz scene or the London jazz scene? I'm going to say New York jazz scene because of watching live streams and also because I went in the early 90s, but I'm itching to go again. Uh, of course, the London jazz scene is amazing. Sorry to go on, but I'm itching... To go to New York again, to hang out and have a jam and sing. I think we've all got that wonderlust, and I think I'll share that with you. Can't wait. And fingers yeah. crossed that we can get there for yeah. Winter Jazz Fest, for example, in January. Oh, so, right, right yeah. I've, I've tallied up. You've got 56.9. You've done very well, and you are top of your own leaderboard, Esther. You should be very proud of yourself. I am. I don't know what it means, but anything. If I'm top, I'm great. I like being on top. Oh, oh good Lord. I love you, man. So, oh, dear, what am I like? What am I like? I'm so sorry. Edith, what for Chad Johnson listeners? What, what, what a blue recording. She's from Birmingham. <laughs> right. The Birmingham girls. Now, here we are. We're on the final straights, really. My, my set question for you, Esther. You have seen some different jazz scenes over the years. And I'd be interested to know more about all the influences that you think need to come together to make a scene really swing. And it's got to be more than just the music, I reckon. So my question, 
Do you nurture a scene or is it just happenstance and luck? No, I think there's a nurturing, isn't there? You know, if you think about a club like the 606 that he's kept going for 30 years, it started from a small basement of kids hanging, playing after their gigs and they're still playing there in their 50s. Yeah, I think I think it's nurtured, isn't it? Because it also becomes a family and a way of life. Uh, you know, Fiona Wellings, Bobby Wellings' daughter's a great friend of the club, great friend of mine. Mm. That, that that goes back to Stan Tracy, Clark. People have married each other. Mm. Tina and Clark were married. You know, it's uh, over the years as well. Like I said, Lee Etherington. Now her kids are doing music. Mark Rideau. I knew them when they were young. I had lessons with Lee. Um, it's nurture. The six is one thing, but then Ronnie's late, Ronnie's and Ronnie's late show, or that's, that's home. I mean, from what, from way back when you could see the, before it was refurbished, but jazz people, it's a way of life. And whether you drink or not, or whatever you do, it's, you know, socially, um, Definitely nurture. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think wherever when you you might look at the other what's it, um, jazz refreshed that that's that, that started at the Mama Bar and then became a thing. Gary Crosby and Ginny and Irons, you know the new jazz. Giles, Giles Peterson. Yeah. Um. The the whole scenes where like those scenes where um the straight ahead scene really in pubs and little golf clubs. And that, you know, people might go, oh, you know, a room full of old people. I don't care. Those are scenes. Those people put those, you know, whether it's, you know, Fleece and all the, all that we've just done the West Country. Yeah. Plymouth Jazz. All those little sort of straight ahead or straight ahead mainstream jazz clubs that, that have been putting jazz on for years, nurturing it, you know, Swansea Jazz. That those sort of places all over England, you'll find them. So I think that's a fascinating answer, Esther. So all of those scenes are individually nurtured, like I don't know, like plots in a in a in an allotment or, or something. But they all are sort of interdependent somehow, right? Because they all share the same water, or they all bleed into each other, or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's just a really lovely honest portrait you just painted there, a fabric, I guess, of of British jazz scenes. So thank you. Right. Okay. Top three album time. Esther, what records do you go back to again and again? Well, the first one, I mean, before all the sort of Randy Crawford jazz funk, all those sort of things and all sorts of music, but the first one that made me go, when I was playing, you know, I was well into being a musician by then. The first one that made me go, oh, that's jazz. I love all the other jazz things, of course. Dinah Washington, actually, I really, really do like. But... It was swinging easy, Sarah Vaughan. I just sat there and thought from the beginning, shooty bab, shooty bab, shooty bab, shooty. And I was like, oh, God. Got it. This is jazz. And the album cover and everything about Sarah Vaughan. Swinging easy. Right, we've got it in. Yeah. Right, we've got two other gaps. Well, it should be an instrumental album just because the third one will be. I was going to say Prince Diamonds and Pearls Ooh. just to be different. Go on. But I'm, because, well, yeah, but I think I'm going to stick to jazz because I was playing Olive Nelson Blues and the Abstract Truth. Ah. Uh, it could be any of those Miles albums, actually. You know, you do play those albums again and again and again. <laughs> so I'd have to pick one, wouldn't I? Olive Nelson Blues and the Abstract Truth because I love the stolen moments as well. Done. Right, Olive Nelson Blues and the Abstract Truth, which leaves you just one record left, Esther. Okay, well, when I was well into jazz singing and, you know, Trudy Kerr, I think it was, said, you have to listen to this singer, Kerr Ellie. Uh. Maybe 20 years ago now. And he did that album, Flirting with Twilight. 
It is perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And if if one one's teaching you use those, there was other albums as well before, but this one with Lance Hobgood, the arrangements, everything about it is perfect. Album. So we have it. We have a uh, a complete unique top three. I don't think we've ever had any of these tracks. Swinging Easy, Sarah Vaughan, uh, Blues and the Abstract Truth, Oliver Nelson, and Flirting with Twilight, Kurt Elling. Esther Bennett, these are good choices. We thank you. And for reminding us of a <laughs> couple. A while. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, it's time to sort out the house band, the most eclectic fantasy house band in podcast show business. Currently, we've got Ed Thigpen on drums. Eberhardt Weber on bass, Joe Tempoli on bass saxophone, but he's also allowed to play the baritone, and the recently very sad late uh, John Hassel on trumpet. Uh, We have recently removed several players, including the entire Count Basie big band. Now, your task, Esther, is to add a musician to that mix uh, from any point in jazz history, noting that we're without a pianist, and indeed no women, which sucks. So we're looking for a pianist? Well, we're looking for anyone you would fancy adding to the band. You're in charge. And it has to be from the past? No, nah, it? it could be anyone. Anyone at all. Carla Blay. Oh, I'm so pleased she's in the band. She may be back in the band. Legend. But she's a wonderful, absolute wonder. So, Esther, thank you for being here today. It's been brilliant chatting. What, what shows have you got yeah. coming up in October and November? Where can we see you? OK, October the 7th, we've got the Bear Club in Luton. Nice. Which was great. He's been wanting to book us for ages. And that's with, you know, I work with a female saxophonist who's also in... Anna Horton? Uh, ...going to be... Hannah yeah, Horton, that's yeah. right. And she's got a gig in, in the uh, our Women in Jazz Media uh, Toulouse Le Trek Festival. Nice. Um, and we have a little project. We've just done Blue Vanguard Jazz, actually, with Craig Milverton Trio, which was lovely in, in Exeter. So we've got the Bear Club in Luton yep. on October the 7th. In November, in the Jazz Festival, Terence and I, and with bass and drums, Sophie Alloway. Of course, Sophie Alloway is on my album. She's female. Yeah, yeah. She's fantastic, Sophie. Uh, and um, Richard Sadler on bass. And we're doing the first. We're doing the jazz sanctuary in the jazz festival. I can't remember November. At the beginning, the, oh. Monday, the Monday. Well, is that the 13th, 14th? Uh, Sometime in mid-November. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the Toulouse-Lautrec one, um, on the last night of the festival, the 21st, it, it'll be the uh, Women in Jazz Media team doing our gigs. Marvellous. Well, loads of opportunities. And uh, a nice give a shout-out to the Luton Massive. Something unusual for people of yeah. Watford. Um, so, that, that's just about it. So if you've liked what you've listened to, wonderful yeah. listener. Subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction, as I say, just check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on our various social media. Or you can even email us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com. So until the next time, which will be next week, so don't panic, it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, the lovely Esther. Bye. Thank you. I loved it. Really enjoyed it. (laughs) And wherever you are in the world, stay safe and always remember to connect with something new. Bye.